Welcome to the hills. Not only to all of you that live in Tarrant County and around who attend our services when they are held, but to all of you on who part of our online community across the nation and literally around the world. For a number of weeks now, we've been meeting online, and I just want to thank you, not just for joining us, but for the feedback you are giving us. I want to thank all of you for the amazing feedback I've gotten to this particular series, and especially to the lesson last week about joy. I heard from people across the nation, evidently right Right now, we need the reminder to intentionally pursue joy. But I want to thank you for something else. And especially those of you who are actual members of the Hills Church. Thank you for the support you have given the leadership of this church as we have tried our best to shepherd, teach and minister during these unprecedented times. I wasn't in seminary when they taught a class how to lead a church through a pandemic. I don't have any notes I took from the pandemic of 93 or 2002. All of us are doing this for the first time ever, and we're doing the best we can. So I just want to say thank you for encouraging us and trusting us with the decisions that we're prayerfully trying to to make. I know so many people want to know, well, what's the future going to look like? Listen, if I could predict the future last year, I would have bought a lot of stock in businesses that produce hand sanitizer. Okay. So I don't know a lot about the future. I'm not completely clear about tomorrow, but as a follower of Jesus, I'm very clear that today there is still life. Uh, still life is an art genre that takes things that are very simple that we walk past every day and it focuses and brings out their beauty and their grace. And what we're doing in this series is saying even during a pandemic when we feel so shut down, there is in our midst truths that are full of grace and encouragement and strength. And we want to focus on those. And we've been doing that by using the letters that Paul wrote when he was locked down. When he was in quarantine, which is a nice word for prison. And Paul spent a lot of his life not able to go where he wanted to go or do what he wanted to do or see who he wanted to see. But he wrote these letters to remind us there is still life. And so we saw from Colossians that Jesus is still Lord. And we saw from Ephesians that we are still blessed. And last week we saw in Philippians that joy is still available. But we can still admit that living like this is still hard, especially on relationships. I saw a tweet recently that I think some of you can resonate with. It said, I've come to the conclusion that our family functions best when we spend six to eight hours apart, preferably five days a week. And somebody right now is going, oh, yeah. In fact, that is one reason why beginning next week, I want to start a series on marriage. Because right now, our relationships are being challenged and tested in new ways. And we need to hear the word of the Lord about that. But one thing the pandemic has taught us as we debate what is essential. Love is always essential. And even when so much has been lost or diminished or locked down, we know Jesus is still Lord. We know that we're still blessed. We know joy is still available. And especially I want to close this series with the reminder, love is still powerful. 
And I want to close with this idea because it is one of the biggest messages in the New Testament. And it's illustrated in a powerful way in one of the smallest letters. Now we saw that from prison, Paul wrote a letter we call the Epistle of Colossians. And at the end of that letter, he has this a word to the church. He says, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. So right off the bat, you know, there's some backstory here that he's telling the church. Now, I'm sending back somebody, you know, uh, maybe you didn't know he was a beloved and faithful brother. So here's the backstory. Onesimus was a slave. And he was a slave of a leader of the church in Colossae named Philemon. All right, off the bat, you should be getting uneasy. You heard what I said. There was a leader of the church in Colossae named Philemon, and he had slaves. And Onesimus evidently ran away. He wasn't a very good slave. He wasn't a, a very useful slave, which is ironic because his name literally meant useful. And not only did he run away, but evidently he took some of his master's money to fund his escape. And he thinks like a lot of runaway slaves, I'll go to the biggest city in the world and I'll just get lost. And he, I'll escape my master's sight. But he could not escape the sight of God. And so as it turns out, it's so often true. He thinks I'm just going to lose myself. And he actually found himself. Because he met this guy, and don't think for a moment it was a coincidence, but he met this guy named Paul, who is in prison in house arrest in Rome. And the runaway runs straight into the arms of Jesus. And by the way, let's just stop right here. For some of you, this is the big idea, and this is the far as you need to go. Because you know a runaway. You know somebody you love and they're a fugitive. Maybe they've run away from your family. Maybe they've run away from their values. Maybe they've run away from their responsibilities. Maybe they've run away from the treatment that they really need. Maybe they're running away from faith. Never stop praying for runaways. Because God specializes in search and rescue. Pray that they will find someone who will help them find Jesus. And that's what happened. Philemon lost a slave who lost himself to the gospel of Jesus. And now Onesimus is true to his name. He becomes useful, especially to Paul, while Paul is incarcerated. And Philemon doesn't know this is going on. But Onesimus had never been happier. He's living the life he was called to live. He's being useful. He knows Jesus now. And something is about to change. Now, I'm speculating. But here's what I think happened. 
So the pastor teacher of the little group of believers in Colossae was a guy named Epaphras. And they had some new teaching that was unsettling the church. And Epaphras says, this is over my head. I need to go get Paul's wisdom. So he makes the trip to ask Paul, how do I speak to and respond to this new teaching? That's why we have what we call the letter of Colossians. And Epaphras shows up and sees Paul and sees all the people there ministering to and with Paul. And he sees Onesimus. Hey, I know that guy. And if Paul did not know Onesimus' full story before, he does now. And Paul becomes convicted that he must do something that is going to make us uneasy. I must send the slave back to his owner. So let's just take a minute and talk about that. You understand it would have been impossible for Paul to imagine a world without slavery. There wasn't a culture that existed in his day that didn't practice slavery. He couldn't think of a culture in history that didn't practice slavery. Now, let's be uh, realistic and fair. The slavery that Paul is dealing with is not the slavery that most of us think about in America's past. It wasn't race-based. Uh, it was often not for life. In fact, often people to pay off debts would enter into slavery and eventually buy the way out. Uh, they didn't split up families. Typically, slaves were paid. And the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, has strong things to say about how to treat slaves. Strong words to masters about treating them with honor and dignity. It has strong words to slaves about seeking your freedom and getting it whenever you have the opportunity. And still, a slave is a slave. A slave is someone that belongs to, like property, to somebody else so that somebody else can have economic gain and profit. That ought to bother us. And what I want us to understand is that I think too often in the past the church has horribly misinterpreted what the Bible is actually speaking and saying about slavery. To the point that too often the church has condoned what it should have condemned. Because we're, we're going to see in a moment, what Paul is going to do in this little letter is an absolutely revolutionary ask. He knows if the seeds of what I'm saying get planted then it is going to produce a radically new, paradigm-shifting, game-changing harvest. And historically, we know throughout the world, wherever the gospel has gone and been planted, abolition is on the way. All the great abolition movements have been led by people who understood the true message of the Scripture. Same thing with civil rights. You can't even understand Dr. King's speeches, if you are not familiar with Scripture. And so, Paul knows if they hear what I'm really saying, things will never be the same. In fact, I think that's why he sent Tychicus back with Onesimus. Because if Onesimus had showed up alone with this letter, somebody would say, you forged that. There's no way he meant that. This is how radical what we're about to read is. So, as much as you can, 
I want us to try to put ourselves in the place where this letter would have first been read. Now, the church met in Philemon's house. In fact, Paul said, I'm writing to Philemon and to Aphia, our beloved sister, and to Archippus and the church that meets in your house. So the church met in Philemon's house. Aphia was probably his wife. Archippus was his son. And there would have been 50 to 70 people would have showed up at his house. And he probably had a nice courtyard. And, and, and Philemon and Aphia and some others would have been sitting at a table. And maybe around the edges of the courtyard, kneeling or sitting down, would have been some of the slaves or some of the working people. And realize back then, most people weren't literate. So someone, probably Tychicus, would have said, okay, now, Paul wants you to hear this. This would have been read in front of the whole church. Now, keep that in mind. 50, 70 people in a courtyard. Here's Onesimus. Everyone knew what kind of a worthless slave he used to be. And we start reading in verse 4. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Okay, let's stop right there. Can you see his wife just beaming? His son just looking at Philemon. Oh, dad, you're a good man. Everybody knows you're a good man. But Philemon's a little uneasy because Paul's setting him up and he knows it. I'm hoping that your faith and your generosity will result in action. So here we go. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. Okay, do you feel it getting a little tense? Do you feel all the people around the edge of the courtyard kind of sitting up a little bit and staring at Philemon? Consider this as a request from me. Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. Stop a second. Can you feel Paul kind of laying on the guilt just a little bit? <laughs> I'm in prison, and I'm an old man. And I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to ask you. Keep reading. I appeal to you. To show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Can you see everyone's eyebrows going up? What? Worthless Onesimus was brought to Christ by Paul the Apostle? Onesimus. Hasn't been of much use to you in the past. And some people are nodding their head. That's right. But now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you. And with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these 
chains for preaching the good news. <laughs> Paul's just laying it on. <laughs> I, I'm in prison. I'm preaching the good news. I'm in chains. I wanted to keep him. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. And so I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. I wonder if Philemon's kind of doing like this. Like, it's getting awful hot in here. Why is the ceiling fan not on? Okay. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer, now here it comes, you ready? This is game changing. You won't find literature like this about slaves anywhere else in antiquity. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. Now, he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And finally, Paul puts in the final nail. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Now watch this. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul, which you just mentioned. I mean, this guy took guilt trips from his mama. And he closes. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. Now, do you see what I mean when I say how anyone in the past took this letter and used it to condone and enforce slavery? Shows you how sometimes wicked the church can be. You know. There were some tense looks in that little courtyard that day. Because what Paul has done is he's taken the gospel right where it belongs. Into the real, messy, complicated situations where people actually live. And his word is, in any situation, Christians still love. For the follower of Jesus, there are no exceptions there are no exemptions. There are no excuses. Love is always essential. Even when it's messy. In fact, I would say, especially when it's messy. That must have been quite a day at church. And a little while later, when they passed around some bread and some wine to have communion, I had a feeling that was a communion like they had never had before. And I'll tell you later why I think it was a game changer for that church. But here's the idea. Here's the point. Right now, in this pandemic, while we're sheltering in place, while we're wearing masks, while we're deciding what we're going to do about school, right now, the love of Christ cannot be quarantined. And love is still powerful. 
And what I can do, what we can do right now first is we can still decide to love. Now, I think it's so significant that Paul did not play the apostle card. Did you notice that? He never brought it up. He said, I could demand it, but I prefer to simply ask you, what's Paul doing? This is so good. Paul says, I am not going to treat you, Philemon, like a subordinate. Because, Philemon, I don't want you to treat Onesimus like a subordinate. This has always been a struggle for the church to want to have hierarchical structure. Remember, the disciples are saying to Jesus, when you kick the Romans out and you set up your kingdom, can we have seats of power? And what does Jesus say? That's not the kind of kingdom I'm setting up. Gospel communities do not lord it over one another. So Paul is not going to resort to the same kind of power structures that he wants Philemon to abandon. This is not an apostle to an owner about a slave. This is a brother to a brother about a brother. And he says, and I love it at the very start of the letter, I keep hearing about your love for all of God's people. And what Paul is going to do is challenge Philemon's understanding of how just how big that word all is in the kingdom of God. You see, being in Christ changes the way we look at all people. Through the lens of the gospel, we realize all people are made in the image of God and they matter to him. We don't look at people from a worldly point of view. We don't see all the statuses and the stratas and the casts that the world wants to put people in. All people are made in God's image and they matter to him. But not just that. Through the lens of the gospel, we realize all people matter to someone else. Paul said, I'm his spiritual father. He's my spiritual child. My very heart comes with him. How would we treat people if we could remember they are precious to somebody? I'll give you an example. The porn epidemic in the church would go away overnight if Christian men could realize that. That the women trapped in that industry are commodified and objectified. It's just a new form of slavery where for some wicked person's economic profit, we commodify a human being. But that person was somebody's daughter. That woman is precious to somebody. And if Christian men could start looking at women as they are made in God's image and they matter to him and they matter to somebody else then pornography would go away from the church of Jesus Christ. That's just an example. That's what the gospel does to us. We decide to love because all people matter to God, because all people matter to somebody else. And not only that, but all people can change when they surrender to Christ. We don't write anybody off as useless. We don't write anybody off as hopeless. We keep praying. We keep pursuing because anybody can become who they were meant to be 
No one has to stay who they used to be. And so for these and many other reasons, we can still decide to love. And you know what? That is so easy to say. And it's easy to believe when it's theoretical. It's so much harder to do when it's personal. And especially if you feel like you've been wronged. So let me be real vulnerable and tell you the hardest thing I find about being a pastor. It's not the preaching. It's not the vision casting. It's, it's not the frustration of people making mistakes. It's simply this. You get hurt. You get hurt by things people say. And Sunday's coming. And I know in a few days, I'm going to take some bread and I'm going to take some wine. And I'm going to thank Jesus for loving me so much. And my heart is not in a good place. That's the hardest thing. And just recently, I got deeply, deeply hurt. And I've always been convicted by Jesus' words in Matthew 5. If you go to your altar to bring your gift to God, and there's something bad going on with somebody else, leave your altar there, go fix it with them, then come back. Because God is a God of reconciliation. And here's what I have to decide. Am I going to love other people the way I want the God I worship to love me? Will I extend grace freely even when doing so is costly? I have response ability. I can still decide to love. What's more, I can take it to the second mile. I can still Provide for love. And here's what I mean. Even though Paul wasn't responsible for the problem, he was willing to be responsible for the price it took to fix it. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. He was willing to take the debt of another so they could find freedom. In short, Paul was willing to do for Onesimus what Jesus had done for Paul. You see, Jesus extended grace to Paul freely, and it was very costly. And this is what the Lord's Supper reminds us of every week that peacemaking is expensive that the ministry of reconciliation is going to cost us. And I think the pandemic, sadly, has made it clear. Paying the price doesn't come easily to a lot of us. I don't care about anybody else. I'm getting my 82 rows of toilet paper. <laughs> you can't make me wear a mask. Now, I know this is about to be controversial, but I'm just going to lean in here. I've seen studies that say masks don't help. I've seen studies that say they help a lot. I'm not a scientist. I think for a Christian, it's not even the question. The question is, what's the most loving thing I can do? That's the Jesus question. And if you have people in your family, and I have people in my family, some young and some old, who are at high risk because of this virus, I know that the loving thing you could do 
in a public place. Just wear a mask. That's not taking away my freedom. That's Galatians 5, me exercising my freedom to love my neighbor. Because love is most powerful when the cost gets real personal. And so right now, somebody owes you something, don't they? Somebody owes you some respect. Somebody owes you some attention. Somebody owes you an explanation. Somebody owes you an opportunity. Somebody owes you an apology. Right now, there's a situation in your life that is a complicated relational mess. And right now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can decide to say, charge it to me. And I love how Paul intentionally ends this little letter. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You see, grace is the great equalizer, isn't it? Grace reminds us we all stand equally needy before the throne of God requesting mercy. And when your spirit is soaked in grace, you will decide to love. And if you have to, you'll provide for love. I will repay it. And you see what I mean? This little letter is an absolute game changer. It changed that church. And I think the principles in this letter are changing the world. You know, about 50 years later, there was a bishop of the church in Ephesus, maybe the most influential church in the world at that time. His name, Onesimus. Church tradition says that this runaway slave became one of the early church's great spiritual leaders. Because in any situation, Christians can still love. And in every situation, love still works. And right now, church, in the midst of this pandemic, with all the things that are going on in our country, on the political realm, in the racial justice realm, in the education realm, we have to decide, do we believe this? Do we believe that love is still the most effective way to have the world we want to have? See, this is the way of the kingdom. We don't choose the way of the sword so we can have power. We choose the way of the cross because we believe that good is stronger than evil. We believe that sacrifice is mightier than self-interest. And we believe that love is greater than hate. That love is still powerful. Uh, we saw an illustration of this not long ago in our own city here in Fort Worth. Uh, 
Like cities across a country, uh, there were many protests after the murder of George Floyd. Now, maybe you are familiar with the name of Julie Swearingen. She is the assistant chief of police of the Fort Worth Police Department. She's also a committed disciple of Jesus and a member of the Hills Church. And I saw a story in the paper on the fourth night of the protest when the curfew had been broken and there was a very angry, upset group of people. And the police were trying to decide what to do. And it, the paper revealed how it was resolved in a beautiful way. And Julie was a, a reason. And so I, I just wrote her an, an email and I thanked her for her, her leadership. And she wrote back and gave me the rest of the story. And so I, I want to read to you what she sent to me. I said, as for being bold, I'll be honest, I was scared. I knew what would be faced if the chief and I approached the crowd. But there was so much I didn't know, too. As I walked to the car with Chief Krause, I prayed for protection, calm and peace. And as I was putting on my bulletproof vest, God reminded me how his son was ridiculed, hated, beaten when he approached people. I was also reminded we should only fear God. And I suddenly felt the spirit and I felt overwhelming comfort and reassurance that our father had us. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do at that very moment. We walked to the crowd. We were immediately approached with angry, hateful words. And I listened quietly. And when given the opportunity to speak, I apologized for what had happened. I told them I felt the same and understood their frustration. And as we worked our way around, people yelled different things. And I tried to focus on what I heard and listen to the things that could actually use to change the way things are happening. And one thing I heard was, y'all need to change. And I turned to Chief Krause and I said, did you hear that? Let's be examples. And I took that as a sign to show solidarity and to take a knee with the protesters. And as we did, we were met with yelling of, you're lying. But there was a young man next to me and he tried to calm the group. And I asked him if we could pray. He agreed and he tried to quiet the group to pray. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I have great conversations with the Lord, but I'm not a person who's confidently prays out loud. But when I opened my mouth, the words formed and they just came out. And I wasn't sure what I said until someone sent me some of the prayer they recorded. So I know with all my heart and soul, God had us and will continue to have us. And we have to do our part and trust in our Father. His word says, love is the most important thing. So that's what I will hold on to. Love all. And that night, love worked. And it still works. But it's risky. And it comes at a cost. And sometimes that cost is a cross. But it's the way of the people of God. And so I just want to close this series by reminding you people, God is with us. Jesus is still on the throne. We're still so blessed. We still have access to such joy. And most of all, love still works. And God is sending you as an ambassador of selfless, risky, charge it to me, love. And I send you this week to be that. In fact, I want us just to close with a prayer. Because my guess is right now, 
there is someone in your life that God is calling you to radically love. So I'll close the prayer, but wherever you are watching this, would you bow your head for a moment and would you pray for that person and for illumination from the Holy Spirit, what might it cost you to love them well? God, help us believe again in the power of radical, selfless, risky, Christ-like love. Help us love like you love us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Hey, now hold on for just one second. I want to speak one more word. I'm talking to somebody right now. And you've run away from God. And I want you to know, God sent Jesus to look for you. And I don't know what you've done or how long you've done it. But I do know that when Jesus was on the cross, he thought of you and he said, charge it to me. That's how much the Father wants you back home. And so on the screen right now, you see that word surrender. Would you text it to that number? And would you please give us the privilege of talking to you about the powerful love of God? Because I don't know where you're running but you're never gonna run past the reach of grace.